This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, the designated investment business, and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Monday, the 2nd of October. With me today, I have Emily Williams. Emily is formerly board sales director at NetJets Europe and has spent the last two decades advising high net worth individuals and global corporations on their aviation needs. Emily is co-founder of IWA, delivering independent aviation advisory. Emily, good morning. Hello, Nick. How are you? What a delight to see you. As always, I like to go back a little bit further than than most. So, yeah, however far back you'd like to uh, like to go, but maybe to the start of your corporate career? So I went to a school with many mutual friends of ours and I went on to Cambridge University, you know, both places where you have to work very hard, you're pushed very hard. And that kind of also led me to a very clear path, which was to go down the graduate recruitment route, um, which I did. I studied social and political science basically a catch-all for everything and for people that have no idea what they want to do Um, and therefore I went down the path of advertising and marketing often a place for people who don't really know what they want to do but know that they like dealing with other people Um, so I started my career Ogilvy Ogilvy and Mather in advertising on their graduate scheme Um, it was a great place I really enjoyed it a very structured kind of approach to your first year in business understanding the way the agency worked, but also dealing with clients. Um, Quite frankly, I am very much coin operated. I am very financially motivated and advertising was pretty tough. You know, it was very long hours, couldn't quite manage my rent and kind of my expenses in London myself. So, you know, kind of frenzied phone call to my parents at the end of the month just before the rent was due. Um, And I thought, you know, I really enjoy having conversations with my counterparts in the brands. But actually, when I look at it, the partners are having those same conversations just with more senior people. Do I really want to do this? And do I want Mm -hmm. to invest my time and energy in that? And I wasn't quite sure, quite frankly, but I wasn't really sure what else I wanted to do either. And actually, someone said to me, why don't you try sales? And I was like, who wants to be in sales? You know, what a ridiculous thing. But then someone else introduced me because obviously, as you start talking about it, someone said to me, look, NetJets, big US company, they're in Europe, they're really trying to grow and they're looking for salespeople. I was like, oh, what do they do? Private jets. I was like, hmm, maybe I could sell private jets. That could be quite fun, right? It's not really your normal sales job. And actually, it's as often happens, I think, in careers that have that you look back on fondly and with you know positive memories, it was the right place at the right time as well. Um, but I'm also very much a people person. So I, I felt very comfortable kind of doing interviews and selling myself. Maybe I've got a very over-inflated opinion of myself, but I ended up at um, Marquee Jet. But as, as often happens in, in these kind of tracks, there's always a short bump and a small bump in the road. So 
I was hired by a gentleman called Rob Hersov at Marquee Jet, which was a subsidiary of, of um, NetJets. In the US, it was a separate company that was set up to kind of sell the excess hours on NetJets to package them mm -hmm. in 25-hour cards. In Europe, the same thing had happened, but actually NetJets was about to buy it back and build it back into their kind of core business. So I was hired, I resigned from Ogilvy, and I think three days later I was told Marquis had been bought back by NetJets and my job no longer existed. But they really liked me, so could I interview again for a job at NetJets? I mean, like total panic for about a week. Anyway, I was lucky enough to be brought into NetJets. Um, and best thing that ever happened to me, hands down. Um, I joined at a time where Warren Buffett was still very much involved with the business. Um, a gentleman called Mark Booth was the CEO. He'd come from B Sky B and MTV. Um, so actually a broadcasting background, but really at the core of Mark's methods and philosophy was the customer. It was about how do we service our customers? So a fantastic place to get a grounding, particularly in sales. Um, I spent just over 10 fantastic years there. Um, I started off selling the jet card, the 25 hour card. You know, as an aside, there was a couple, you know, fantastic things like that peppered in there for me as well. I think my first week, um, I had a great boss called Graham Weston, who was also probably a big driver in my career. I followed him all the way up through the ranks mm -hmm. and he very much trusted me from the beginning. But within a few days, he said to me, we're hosting an event on um, the Christina O, the Onassis yacht. Would you like to come? okay um and i thought How the, what am i gonna wear and actually i called a very good friend of mine um who was in banking at goldman sachs and had a bit more cash than me i was like what am i gonna wear and she was like don't worry we're going shopping and i think my first week um at netjets i ended up on the onassis yacht sailing um finishing up at cala de volpe but i we finished up the evening i got a lift back on a private jet to manston in kent then got on the train back to Charing Cross and took the night bus back to my flat in Clapham <laughs> and had to lie on my bed thinking, has this just happened to me? But it also meant that I really believed in the product. So I started off on the jet card. I had Ireland was one of my territories, which was booming at the time. So I yeah. got a lot of experience very quickly, um, you know, part of that kind of whole Celtic tiger drive and just really worked my way up the ranks, you know, so selling larger products to bigger clients and then taking on the UK team. So it was my first sort of real taste of management and running a team um, and then got the board sales director position. And at that time, there was an independent European board, which there now is and it really is run by the US. So got a fantastic grounding and being part of a, of a leadership team of an organization. But also, you know, balance that with Bark Pathways 10 year planning, really having to build up my financial acumen very quickly um, so that uh, it was just it was just a glorious time all around. I will never, ever kind of have bad memories or look back on that with anything but joy. So how how involved was Warren? He was quite involved um, on a kind of strategic level, I'd say, and really kind of a team building um, level. I had I was able to meet him a couple of times, which was amazing. I sat next to him at a kind of leadership team lunch in Columbus, Ohio. Um, he does actually eat cheeseburgers for every meal um, <laughs> and he does leave his own home every morning and fly home every evening, almost every evening. Um, but he really gives you time um, and everything he does is about kind of stories and he he teaches you lessons and, and gives you learnings through sort of brilliant storytelling 
Um, I also travelled to Delhi and hosted him there for a talk with our clients over there, which was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, got to spend a couple of days with him. He was sort of on my watch, which is a bit terrifying. Um, he doesn't usually travel that far. And it was him and Bill Gates that were out there. Um, I remember taking him up to his room with his kind of team, explaining to him, Warren, whatever you do, do not use the tap water to brush your teeth, please. Like you have to use bottled water for everything. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, whatever. The next morning I came in to collect him to, get, to do our kind of our, uh, talk, our kind of town hall. And I said, Warren, please tell me you did not use the tap water. He was like, Ugh, I didn't use the tap water. I couldn't find a bottle of water. So I just used cherry Coke to brush my teeth. I was like, thank you. <laughs> um, so just loads of great stories. I mean, there was one that always stands out to me and has really stuck with me through my career and through building my own business is that he always talks about hiring people that you think can do a better job than you can. So yeah. don't be afraid of that. You know, don't hire people that you feel like you'll be able to control and be better than hire people who will be better than you. Um, and he absolutely believed in that. And it, it it permeated the whole culture, particularly at the beginning when it was really his people in place running the business. You know, it was all about driving people. I was sitting on a board, you know, big board of a Berkshire Hathaway business in my early 30s. You know, I can't think of many companies that would have faith in the right people to do that. And you'd feel very comfortable having a seat at that table. So, yeah, that sounds incredible grounding and what incredible experience, I guess. So then how long were you at NetJets for? Just over 10 years. Um, then I was traveling pretty much five days a week, sadly not privately for most of it. Um, I think I'd watched every series of The West Wing on an airplane. Um, and I was about to give birth to my first daughter, who's now 11. And just really sort of thinking about taking stock. Did, could I really travel like this? Um, I also am not the sort of person that was prepared to take a step sideways or a step down. So kind of there was only one way, which was to go out into the big wide world. I'd had a little itch always to do retail. I think I'd like the branding side, maybe from my early days at Ogilvy. Um, took a short break while I had my daughter. I actually went back to consult for some of the senior um, senior team at NetJets who had gone on to do other things. Um, and then was headhunted into a job in the interiors industry. Um, not a ton to say about that. It was short lived um, from my side, but actually taught me a really valuable lesson, which is I thought I wanted to do something different. But actually, I knew a lot about private aviation. Yeah. I knew about the customer. I knew what they needed. It was easy for me to make decisions. You know, if people came to me, I could be like, yes, no, clearly the right thing, the wrong thing. Um, and actually, when I when I had kind of more challenging decisions to make, I could do research, but I knew who to speak to. I had a great network of people I could call, understand things. So I went into a different industry and actually there was some fun in the challenge of learning something new, but there was also a lot of frustration. It took a lot of time. It was a founder owner business. Um, it was it was really a tricky, tricky time for me. Um, and I decided actually within about a year that I'd scratch that itch <laughs> and we'd yeah. done well. It was lovely, but this was not my my long term kind of joy. Um, as most women, mothers, early mothers will have that kind of panic of, will I ever get my career back? Will I ever get back to where I was? Um, and I was very lucky, actually, a mutual friend of ours was working in banking, about to go on maternity leave. A good example of why net your network is so important. Mm -hmm. And I rang her and said, look, I'm leaving. And she said to me, oh, thank God, I need someone to cover my maternity leave um, as um, a director at BAML. And I can't trust anyone, but I can absolutely trust you. Can you come and do it? Be here tomorrow morning. I at forgot you did that, actually. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So actually, 
um, I did that for just over a year. I got to sit next to my best friend for three months at the beginning and end of it, which was just phenomenal. Um, and uh, also really brought up my numbers. You know, I, as a salesperson, you kind of learn to like use your words, fly by the seat of your pants, tell great stories. Um, but you're not so good at spreadsheets and really understanding the numbers. You know your product, but beyond that, maybe you don't really understand how business ticks. And I think doing the kind of investor relations side at the bank really made me understand other businesses and what they do. I was also lucky enough, obviously, to be on a short contract there. And while I was there, Nick, my co-founder of IWA, a great friend of mine from NetJets, who I'd worked with for many, many years, came to me with a business proposition really driven by my former clients and his current clients um, saying, you know, we love NetJets, but we think there's other stuff out there. We really want to verify what we're doing. It's a complicated world. We have businesses to run. We don't want to employ a whole gang of people to do this. Could you check my contract? Is Emily around? Could I just give her a quick ring to run something by her? And Nick said, I think we have a business here. So I was lucky to sort of dovetail my work at the bank with founding IWA and it allowed us kind of a little bit of time to prove the concept, to check our pricing, you know, all that kind of stuff as well. And IWA was founded about eight years really in reality now, um, eight years ago. And it's been a, an absolute joy, an amazing ride. And, you know, I think we've delivered a very successful business. Do you want to describe a little bit about the service that you offer? Absolutely. So we are independent private aviation advisors. So typically clients will come to us and they're either flying privately, they're in their own plane, they're with one of the big fractionals like NetJets or VistaJet or FlexJet. And they either have an issue that they want to check or they're coming up to a contract um, renegotiation or they just want to check in and have someone else manage their flying. And we are one point of contact for all of that. We are truly independent. We are no commission business, no incentive payments, no backhanders. We have no affiliations. And we manage all the flying exclusively for our clients. So we start off usually by doing an advisory project. We look at what they're doing. We give them all the options out there in the market to either do it better, differently, more cost effectively, bigger aircraft, smaller aircraft, you know, we will look at everything that kind of makes sense for their flying. And then we go on and neg negotiate and execute the contracts. And what that means for most of our clients is that they have a piece of their flying with a fractional provider or a fleet provider like a NetJets or a, a VistaJet. And then we put a piece into the charter market at 0% commission. And what that really does, it, it's like, I'm sure in every business, a mixed portfolio approach mm -hmm. tends to always be kind of the best way of doing it and best isn't always the most cost effective it might be the best service levels the most flexibility whatever you your needs are at that time but you know the holy grail for us is putting everyone into a mixed portfolio approach and then going on to manage that how many clients do you have is it a big roster of clients or yeah so we're a team of 10 now and i think we'll, we'll probably talk a bit about how we've built that team over time yeah. but we're a team of 10 um we've looked long and hard over the last couple of years about you know, the future of the business? Is it more clients, less clients, bigger clients, smaller clients? Um, we, our fee structure is a fixed annual fee based on the number of hours you fly or 12 months, whichever comes first. And that starts at 50 hours of flying, up to 50 hours of flying. So we manage the flying of about 120 individuals and that's across about 100 contracts. So a corporate a VC fund, for example, might have five principals and we will manage all their personal and corporate flying. Um, 
we have then gone on to buy aircraft for our clients. So over the last 18 months, we've done about nine transactions. And because we're really close to our clients and we've worked with them for such a long time, often once we've bought the plane, we then go on to be on the owner representatives, kind of managing the day to day of that. So we're quite a small niche business, but with high volumes and high kind of um, cash output, I'd say, you know, for our clients, really. And is there a long lead time for for new jets? I guess it's not like buying a super yacht. I mean, are they quite accessible? Uh, No, you're usually waiting a couple of years. Um, on a new aircraft the pre-owned market you know is is quicker so usually if you're looking at a pre-owned aircraft you know you're sort of up to six months from the decision to go and go out and buy a plane on new you're looking at about two years having said that you know the market changes all the time you know we've been at four or five years you know four or five years ago um, and now you know we are just closing on a on an aircraft that will be delivered next year and it was a position someone else had that they decided to to put back into the marketplace. So, you know, a year lead time on that. So changes all the time. And then you mentioned you know, your 10 people. How do you see how do you see the business growing? What is what is the, the focus for the next sort of three to five years? Yeah. So when we founded the business, Nick and I, um, we are both married to basically management consultants. Um, my husband's a partner at PwC, started an accountancy, now works in transaction services. Um, Nick's husband was at Boston Consulting Group, you know, very management consulting um, related. And Nick and I were like kind of having fun doing sales. So so has the business gone into the Boston box? <laughs> yeah, or, sort of. Like we, we always sort of bounce off Nick's How husband. Is, is it super business, power business or super business? I can't quite remember yeah. which, which one yeah. it is. So he's always our kind of um, runner, I guess. We always we always sort of run things back past him. But so Nick and I were just like selling, making money, having a lovely time, going to amazing places. You know, it was all fantastic. And when we said we wanted to start this business, um, the two of them sat them down and said, if you're going to give up, you know, your day jobs, you got to pitch it to us. You know, we're going to have to carry the slack for a while. So Nick and I pitched to our, our partners and they said actually I think this is a good business and we had a couple of clients so we sort of it was working and uh Boston Consulting said to us he's no longer by the way at BCG he, he manages a very successful fund on his own now but at the time he was BCG I think and he said so what are you going to do classic BCG what are you going to do when you hit like a million pounds of turnover um and Nick and I looked at each other and we were like we're going to get a puppy. <laughs> I mean, that is like the extent of our business planning, right, at the time. Um, and we laugh about that now. And it was meant to be a lifestyle business. Well, haha. I mean, it's been successful, which is great, which means it's no longer a lifestyle business. But actually, we wouldn't have it any other way. So for at least five years, it was just, you know, head down, working hard. We've never advertised. We've never done any marketing. Everything is on referrals. But we knew we had a good business because we were getting huge referrals. And we had two or three clients who are what I would call super referrers. You know, we were getting a client a week from them. You know, (laughs) it did make us look at our pricing strategy quite early on. Um, uh, But so for, you know, at least five years, five or six years, it was us two. Then we added one more person and it was just work, 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 you know, get the work out, do a good job make some mistakes, learn along the way, you know, that kind of thing. And I'd say over the last two years, we've actually been able to put our heads up and think about what we want to do. So we had some discussions a couple of years ago. Would we sell the business? What would we need to do to sell the business? Or would we just drive the business forward and create 
a bigger business with more income, better people, more people in it. And actually, we decided to go down the, the latter route. So the last two years has been really pulling together our processes and systems. Our clients tell us continuously they love our data output. You know, we do a lot of market and market analysis and feed that to clients so they can make good decisions. And, you know, many of our clients are your clients, right? So they're mm. constantly, and I think a theme Buffett always talks about is having time, right? He says things like, I'm not on email. I'm not on, you know, WhatsApp, text yeah. message. And he says he goes to the library and researches. And I think, you know, I'm not sure everyone believes that wholeheartedly, but I think the core of it is absolutely true, which is he takes time, he researches and he thinks. I mean, we were talking about Puppy earlier. I listened to his um, podcast. He talked a lot about, I just sat there, I read, I called, yeah. I, I got information and I made my decisions from that. And I think that's what clients, you know, buy into IWA for. So we wanted to kind of professionalize that product and be a bit more proactive about it versus the reactive that we've been. And that involved building a team. So we went from three to 10 over two years. Um, we have six flight managers who run the kind of day-to-day -day flying for our clients. And each client has a dedicated account manager who works within a team of three and they're divided between program. So clients who predominantly fly in the program product and charter predominantly fly in the charter market. Our program team are the best of the best from NetJets and VistaJet, and our charter team are the hustlers. You know, cl clients call them, I like so-and-so the hustler, you know, they are a great team. And then they share across. Um, we hired a flight director who we work with, um, who was sort of our counterpart in another business. Um, he's been on board now for about six months and is doing a phenomenal job and, and sort of managing that team. We have a commercial director um, who, the wonderful girl that I did her banking job is now our commercial director. Um, so nice karma, full circle, comes back yeah. around again. Um, uh, and then Nick and I are sort of driving the new business forward. So we're still very much on that kind of growth trajectory. But, and I say but very um, carefully, we are not trying to become a huge volume driven business. Our client focus is the most important thing. Nick and I will always maintain contact with our clients on a kind of more strategic, visionary negotiation of contract level. So yeah, so the, the year ahead, the last two years have been spending some of the money we've earned in order to buy in the right people, the right systems and processes. And 2024 is about driving business forward now. So going for the big clients, um, that we maybe haven't really had the time to kind of go and spend time with and understand and bring them into the IWA family. And then who knows? World domination. Exactly. Exactly. I guess I guess over the last two years, your client base must have been quite economically resilient. Yeah, I think the beauty of our business is we help clients get out of contracts as well as get into contracts. So, I mean, at the very kind of basic level, the minute you could fly people who flew and privately were flying. You know, the minute restrictions were lifted to the yeah. point you could fly, you didn't have to wait for commercial schedules to come back. You didn't have to queue for 10 hours at airports. You didn't have to, you know, you could go get your COVID test and as soon as you got the result back, you could fly. You know, you weren't waiting and panicking, you know. So, um, so we probably stopped working as hard last and started working as hard first again. So our actually, our COVID kind of period was quite short. 
Um, but also during that, actually, after kind of a week of a bit of homeschooling and doing some nature walks and feeling lovely and fuzzy around life and my husband being home and everything, we were like, holy shit, we have a business to run. Get out there and do some work. Right. And actually, Nick was the one, my business partner, that picked it up. And we started to look at airports. Where could you go? Where couldn't you go? What was shut? What was open? What were your restrictions? You know, and we started to pump information out to our clients. So. So that's sort of on the basic level, we were pretty resilient during COVID. But on the kind of, you know, more macro strategic level, I think that we are constantly working with our clients to move them in and out of contract. So if they need to, you know, reduce in size, that's work for us and revenue for us. You know, if they need to increase in size, that's work for us and revenue for us. So our business model is resilient, but also our clients are resilient. Now, if you've flown privately, it would be very rare for you to suddenly stop flying privately yeah. altogether and fly commercially. You might just be more effective about what you do. And I think IWA allows you to be truly effective around that. You know, we're constantly looking versus a commercial, five passengers, three passengers, what size aircraft, which airport, what's the driving time? Should you be on a heli? You know, if you truly want to be cost effective, but also time effective, having someone like us absolutely enables you to do that. I guess it goes down. It's all about time, isn't it, really? 100 million percent. I think there's a little bit more kind of health, I think, um, yeah. safety that's crept in, certainly post-COVID and some bit, some security stuff in there. But in general, it's absolutely about time. And then you may have alluded to it earlier on, but what drives you to want to drive the business? I mean, I think I probably did. I, and I always feel sort of sad saying this, but it's not really sad. It's actually great. I am very financially motivated, like undoubtedly, right? It's, uh, you know, from family life to school life, to university life, it's always been about like, be the best, be the number one, you know, drive. I think as I've got older, I definitely have a better perspective on that. And I can think, take time. I'm quite a strategic person now. Um, I'm, you know, I I, I work at a, I was going to say a slower pace, but I think a much more effective pace, actually, than a, than a slower pace. But financial motivation is like very key for me. And I definitely see success as kind of, you know, the financial growth of the business. Um, ironically, that's really driven by my children. You know, once you have kids and they they need things from you and you want to give them the best, you know, the money comes in and it's sort of straight away allocated to what they need and experiences and things that I know will you know, build great foundations from them kind of for them later in life. So that that is important to me. Um, I ride horses on the side. I have dressage horses. I'm really not very good at it, but I work really bloody hard at it. Um, and that requires kind of a financial contribution, but also a time contribution. And it really kind of motivates me to do my work and earn my money to be able yep. to do that. So I think that's kind of important. Um, I think also that I am very much a people person. So I was lucky, grateful, blessed, you know, whatever you want to call it, to meet Nick, who's my co-founder at NetJets and work very closely with him and then build a business with him. You know, we rely on each other a lot. You know, I, I'm a connected person. I'm not a lone wolf. And I think it's really important for people to recognize mm -hmm. their kind of their abilities and their their, you know, how they want to work. I definitely want to work with someone else and Nick drives me because I never want to let him down and I drive him because he doesn't want to let me down. We work in what we call a guilt-free zone. We always have. If he needs time away or I need time away, we 100% don't ask. We just step up and, you know, fill the other shoes. Um, and I think it's not only a great driver, but it's also 
an incredibly safe place to be. And it's a great motivation to try things, make mistakes, because you've got this other person that absolutely has your back. Um, you could say anything to um, you can make mistakes and you can admit them, I think, which is part of the, yeah. you know, the challenge. You can just say that was a terrible idea. I'm so sorry. He'd laugh. I'd laugh if he did it. And we just move forward, you know. Um, and so I think that, you know, day to day that gets me out of bed, you know, is is to deliver for him and he delivers for me. And I think um, I feel very, very lucky every day that I've got someone else to to share this kind of business journey with. And then are you all remote or are you location based? How do you run your business? Yeah, it's um, we're completely remote. So as it happens, we've ended up in sort of a couple of key locations. So um, five of the team are based out of Lisbon, um, three of us in the UK and two in Malta. Um, that has been a challenge in itself, by the way, and we've, we've sort of navigated that. and We've got a pretty good system now. So we have two weekly meetings on teams where we all check in together um and then every quarter we get together for at least two or three nights training fun hanging out in nice locations i keep trying to persuade them to come to the uk they're always like hell no let's go to <laughs> portugal so we're always usually in portugal but it doesn't have to be uh, actually i have got them coming to the uk in november finally um and we spend really good quality time together and i do notice that if that slips even a couple of weeks things the threads get a little bit looser and a little bit more frayed so we're very careful about that part of um hiring the flight director as well was to have someone to in between times be with the team so he does do quite a lot of traveling he's actually based in hamburg um so he's like a one kind of rogue element um but he travels a lot he's got he's british originally he's got a base in the uk but it is challenging you know covid's helped um but having that remote kind of working style means that we just need to be online connected a lot more phone calls than messages than previously but it but it is something that we we try things we screw them up we start again but in general that kind of underpinning of meeting every quarter seems to work well but i guess you speak every day to the team i mean a million times i speak to nick more than i speak to my own husband um but we speak to the team um a lot and i, I guess coming back to this piece about being a people person you know i I don't love the detail of day-to-day management and I think I'm bright I've done it for a long time I understand how to do it Um, but I would much rather sit and have a conversation with one of my team for an hour versus look at their holiday schedule check that their benefits are in order all that kind of stuff so I've probably taken up that role more so I'm very close with our team but much more in the kind of discussion about how we approach business what we do you know getting to know that person maybe more than the kind of day-to-day management of that person. And is it hard to find good people with industry knowledge? There must only be small pockets. Definitely. I mean, we hop back to the network piece, you know, once we started to get a good reputation within the businesses for what we were doing, they, we were very lucky. Most of the fractionals have accepted us in the worst case scenario and sort of supported us but in the best case scenario brought us into the team um which has actually made it challenging when you're looking to hire people from some of those businesses but i think whenever we take a business decision um we always come back to this kind of independence customer focused ethos so if we have someone that has approached often approached us or we've approached not necessarily approached them often they've approached us 
or they might be going through a redundancy process at a business mm-hmm. that we know. We've been open with the business and said, we'd like to hire that person. How do you feel about it? And every time they've come with the blessing, which is great for kind of our relationships. Um, we've never fired anyone. And I'd like to think, and that's, well, I'd like, I was going to say, I'd like to think, I know it's not because we're one of those businesses that hold on to people even without. We've been lucky enough to have worked with almost every person that has become part of our team in some previous life. So we've got a pretty good sense of their strengths and weaknesses before they come on. Um, everyone is from the industry apart from two. Um, our commercial director, but she obviously comes from a finance background, so she really and she is a whiz with the spreadsheet. Um, and one of other of our charter team who came from the travel agency industry. Um, she's a great asset. She's definitely found it harder. Um, but now, now we know our training's good. We bring people in quite quickly. But back to your point about the remote part, I think getting good people in, it's much harder to integrate them quickly when you're mm-hmm. working on a remote basis. Yeah, I mean, do you do you ever see that you'll have a a fixed location, an office in London, or is it all going to be fully remote? I think we'll always be remote. Our clients are global. You know, we were definitely a bit London skewed for a while, but really not anymore. I'd say a lot of our clients have some sort of um, touch point with the UK, but not necessarily based here anymore. Um, So we are truly global. I think it allows us to hire probably even better people than if we had a fixed office because we actually go for the person and their skills not where they're based Um, I mean I think it's allowed us to build a better team I mean is Asian expansion an opportunity um I think we wouldn't target sort of the advisory business particularly out um there however we are starting to work more and more with clients that have a requirement in Asia um, VistaJet, one of the fractionals, have really decided to kind of plough forward in that area. Um, so we're doing more and more flying out there, and that may well end up with, um, you know, more business out there. Um, a good example of that is the US. So we like to be brilliant wherever we are. You know, we, we are not going to take on business or do business when we know that we don't have better and superior, more in-depth knowledge than than someone else that could provide that. So actually in the US, we have a great partner and we use him mm-hmm. um, for overnight, for example, and to get the best turkey sandwich in Boston, because we're not in Boston every day, you know. So I think if we did go out to Asia, we definitely start to work with someone with kind of strong local knowledge. Now, Emily, as my regular listeners know, I like to close with three questions. We'll take one at a time, if that's OK. Your greatest inspiration or mentor? So um, I think I've touched on it briefly, but I um, I was lucky in both my kind of initial career jobs. So both at Ogilvy and at NetJets to meet the visionaries of those businesses. So part of my training at Ogilvy was to go to David Ogilvy's house and meet his widow and stay in his chateau in France, which wasn't just all like lovely wine and fine food. Um, It also just gave you a sense of the person and their drive and their ethos. And his um, wife talked a lot about the business. And I think I came back to Ogilvy with a renewed understanding and um, way of dealing with clients there. And the same at NetJets. So NetJets wasn't founded by Warren, but he was probably the biggest supporter and really helped the founder, Richard Santulli, to drive it forward. And I think being able to spend time with him um, in different locations um, was incredibly inspirational. You know, these are regular people that have driven incredible things um, and both of them had time. 
And I think it inspires me every day to think about how do I make some time in my day to think, to be strategic, which is what turns me on and what I'm good at, to create vision and, and drive forward with that. So I think they are my like bigger inspirations. But I also think starting your own business is blooming hard and you doubt yourself a lot along the way. And we were very lucky to have a friend, um, a guy called Craig Ross, who founded a business called Aviation Portfolio in the US. And he sat with Nick and I for the first few months. We'd call him and be like, what should we do, Craig? Because he'd had a sort of similar mm -hmm. um, business idea. Um, and he was brilliant. And he selflessly, no money changed hands, you know, just as a friend, um, he helped us. He said that we'd been in a management meeting in the US together when we were both at NetJets. And I had said something that had triggered his thought, which was, I am going to go up and set up my own business. And he said he felt like he wanted to kind of repay that favor to me. And he has been a great mentor kind of just on everything from our pricing structure, expanding our team, what we might do in the future. Um, and I think actually really nicely now, kind of eight or nine years in, it's gone back the other way. Craig will sometimes call us for a coffee and say, what did you do here and how did you do that? Um, so, yeah, so I've had the great visionaries, which have, I've been very lucky to meet and touch and feel. Um, but I've also had that kind of down to day-to-day -to -day mentorship um, from someone who was just a couple of years ahead of us in the business, which I'm, you know, really grateful for. And then if we go back to Warren, apart from time, do you have one bit of sage advice that he gave you? I mean, don't diet, might as well, you know, drink cherry Coke and eat cheeseburgers all day long and you'll be happy, you know, make it to 100 probably and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. And what were the other kind of things he'd said in in, um, in, in sort of more serious stuff? So I think time is important, but I think the thing that has really stuck with me is don't be afraid to hire people who are going to be better than you. Yeah. In fact, yeah. proactively go and find those people. Um, I think people that hired me hopefully did that with me. They saw something good in, in me and we've absolutely done that with our team. No, that makes a lot of sense. And a book which has inspired you, Emily? I am a great fan of a podcast or a book, a self-help kind of genre. Um, if ever I've got something that I'm thinking about, I often look at a podcast or find a book that relates to it. Um, one of my great friends calls me compliant of Taplow, which is the village I live in, um, because I like to follow instructions. Uh, so it's going to be a self-help book. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of like a Tony Robbins or something. You know, I, yeah. I love all that stuff. Um, but I love Glennon Doyle's Untamed. I've bought it for many friends. I've read it myself. Um, she, I, I have quite a strong intuition and gut instinct, and it's often made me nervous. But I think as I've got older and a bit more experienced I've realized it's a great thing to have and I just sometimes need to think it and sit with it rather than just say it sometimes straight straight away out loud and Glennon talks a lot about um you know you might be the zigger when everyone else is zagging and that makes you feel like you're the one that's wrong but sometimes you're right you know and if you if you just stick to what you think is right eventually over the crowd are like wait she's right you know um and I think for me that is really important, particularly as the sort of founder of your own business. There are times when you think, why isn't anyone else doing this? Or they're doing it this way. Maybe they're right and I'm wrong, but I, that just doesn't feel right. And I think those times that we've, particularly you know, in business where we've stuck to our guns and thought, nah, this is the right thing to do. We've been very lucky in that it has proved absolutely. So she talks about being a cheater, you know, goddamn cheater. So it's just go out there, go for it, do it. If it feels right to you, it probably is right. 
don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Excellent. And finally, what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out on their career to follow in your footsteps? If you have the opportunity to get some actual hands-on sales experience, always take it. You may not feel like a salesperson, but in every walk of life, whatever you do, there is an element of sales. Um, you know, everything is selling something, trying to bring someone around to your point of view, you know, and the, if you can get some really strong grounding in that at the beginning of your career, you'll have the confidence to go on and do it in all sorts of forms and walks of life. And I think potentially have the, the chance to go on to sort of more success. I think the other thing that sales, as you kind of hone your sales skills, um, one thing you develop is great empathy. You understand what the other person on the other side of the desk, at the other side of the phone, sitting in front of you, you know, you understand what they need, what, what you know, flicks their switches, turns them on, presses their buttons. And if you can develop that empathy just in your own life as well as in your business life, I think it is just such a great skill um, and will lead to yeah, real fulfillment, but also great success. And as we know, that means financial motivation for me. So, um, so you know, I'm a great believer in, yeah, sales leading to really developing your, you know, your, your empathy skills um, leads to great success. Thank you. And then finally, how can listeners get in touch with you? Absolutely. So um, to get a better understanding of what we do, I'd have a look at our website, which is iwaviation.com. There's a contact me button on there. Um, or you can email me directly on emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at iwaviation.com. And I'll, take, I'll merely take a small commission on all, an all new client base, right? Absolutely, Nick. I can see a Gulfstream 650 in your future for sure. Thank you very much. Emily, this has been really amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.